My name's Cutter Calloway, and I'm Assistant Professor of Theology and Culture at Fuller Theological Seminary. Welcome to Fuller Studio. Welcome to TV and Theology, an audio series in which we construct a theology of television to help viewers more fully engage with the power and meaning of TV. This season, I talk with TV writer and my co-author, Dean Batali. Welcome back to... And Dean Batali. And Dean Batali, uh, with Cutter Calloway, um, your hosts, and uh, week eight. Uh, How come you always get eight. to speak first? I've never got to speak first. Well, and you also speak last. I Oh, that's true. Well, yeah. we are co-hosts, so maybe you should set this up. Um, why don't you lead us into a little uh, reflection on Koyama's water buffalo theology? <laughs> I have nothing to say. <laughs> uh, well, that's because uh, I'm a theologian and... I think we feel like we have the first and last word. Was Koyama a character on the Mary Tyler Moore show? Because if so... <laughs> he was not, uh, but maybe he should have been. Maybe so. Um, he was a, uh, a, an Asian uh, missionary uh, to Japan, uh, wrote a wonderful little book called Water Buffalo Theology that really changed uh, a lot of how I understand what it means to communicate the gospel in other cultures. And part of what uh, you've raised a few times is this notion that with the proliferation of kinds of TV and programming, um, you you run into someone that's seen Breaking Bad or whatever, and you have this kindred spirit, because there's all these various kind of subcultures walking around um, right in our midst. So we do sort of inhabit, I mean, we're both uh, Western males in Southern California, um, and so we share some commonalities. But in a lot of ways, uh, our subcultures are defined by the sort of media we consume, and they all have different kinds of languages, um, uh, different uh, symbol systems, uh, different vocabularies, different ways of understanding the world. Um, and you can't just straightforward or easily comport one system into the other without some some things being lost in translation. Uh, so Ko- Koyama really interestingly says, I was trying to, even though I was Asian, I was not Japanese, and I had to rethink my whole approach to what the gospel meant in this culture that was not my own. And his whole method, he says, some, he says, theologians are at the very beginning. They like the first and last word. Um, they always like to say, what's your method? What's your theological method? And he says, well, my method was basically the same as anyone's method for learning a language. And he's like, it was called humiliation. <laughs> um, it was this constant reminder that, man, even after years of study, I still couldn't frame some really basic concepts about the Christian faith in a way that was meaningful uh, to someone from a different, uh, uh, that was speaking a different language. And so in these really interesting word pictures, he he says, it's like um, you have the raw Christ, right? And I'm seasoning it with Buddhist salt. Um, so thinking about uh, the, the Buddhist uh, uh, conceptual worldview and how that shapes every everyone from a culture that is shot through with Buddhism. What does Jesus mean in that sort of culture? And it means something very different than if you were in Europe or you're in Africa or you're in North America. Um, and so that's it's this interesting picture of what's that raw Christ and how does that cultural context and language season it in different ways um, that it's still Jesus you're talking about, but it's it's uh, relatable, it's understandable. 
Um, I think a very similar thing with with television, if it's this really another culture that we're interacting with, it's not our own necessarily, it's another language. Um, what would you say uh, is is the primary language of, of television? What is it? What's that symbol system we have to know in order to be conversant with it, especially if we want to communicate something like the the <laughs> the, the meaning of, of someone like Jesus? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's there's a couple things here that I just want to take one step back and just talk about art for a, a, just for a second. Um, um, my belief is that a lot of people think that art should show life the way it is, that we want to be real. There's been kind of this new thing. We want to really show who we are and that art can show how the world is. Um, it's my understanding that that's kind of a contemporary idea. By contemporary, I mean the last century in the, the history of humanity. Um, for a long time, and what I believe, art should show how the world could be. Art should be a little bit more idealistic. Now, that doesn't mean you don't show tragedy sometime. But my point is that that we get stuck sort of in the mire of who we are. And I think great art can kind of transcend that and show who we could become and who we are becoming and how we could and should be and sort of shine a light on what's wrong sometimes, but for the purpose of so that we don't do that. Tragedies, Shakespeare tragedies, for example, are written so that we don't become like that, right? Mm -hmm. The problem I have with a lot of contemporary television, even something like Breaking Bad, I'm not really sure it's clear that we're not supposed to be this guy, <laughs> you know, the anti-hero. I think more people want to be Tony Soprano than don't, because look at his house and look at the women, look at the life that he has. Well, that, even Walter Wright says at the end, you know, I was good at it. Like, yeah. it's, that's why he chose. He I, you accomplished know, I loved something. it and I did something meaningful. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that that art can show us who we are and what we're becoming. And this is what I really like about episodic television is unlike any art form, you know, when you're spending so many hours with these characters over so many years, we get to see them evolve into hopefully better people. Um, hopefully they're becoming, um, well, in a perfect, in a theological sense, more like Jesus or at least a better person, or, or um, and sometimes it's three steps forward and four steps back, but they're getting and they're striving and they're hoping to become. Um, so that's what I like about the language of episodic television, is it sets up this premise and these people in these situations, and ideally, you want to follow them for years and years to come. And then uh, when they're gone, they're no longer part of your life, you've learned something, or you become a better person, a more knowledgeable person, um, you know, what I would like to see is more characters that we want to be like, and especially when you get into characters of faith, which, as you know, has drawn me to to this town and even this conversation. My frustration of not seeing characters of faith on television is there's not enough people for us to look at and go, I want to be like that. That's the kind of person I want to be like. I mean, this is why war movies work and hero movies. It's like, well, in that situation, I hope that I would lay down my life and, you know, that's not just in war movies. It's also in in uh, movies like The Iron Giant, for that matter, where people are sacrificing, or in this case, a robot is sacrificing himself to save others. That's a spoiler alert, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's I, a movie. We can spoil all right, the movies. Right, right. I hope that when I am given a ring that gives me all power, I will have the moral fortitude to want mm -hmm. to go and destroy it. Well, come on, really? None of us are going to do that when we're given the ring of all power. But that's what makes that story so great. Um, and it has been pointed out by others, you know, does that remind you of anybody, somebody who's been given all power and then gives it away? Um, I think Jesus did that, too. So maybe there's a lot of parallel there. But anyway, so so television as in, in terms of, of, of the actual language of it 
um, we have to look at it as a whole rather than a part. It is the sum of its parts. Um, um, Cutter pointed out, you know, there are all these books that are written, the gospel according to television shows before the television shows are over, which is just absurd. How can you define Lost until you get to the final episode? How could you have defined Breaking Bad until you get to the final episode? But a lot of people try. Which the, the, the guy <laughs> who wrote the gospel according to Breaking Bad did submit a second edition after the final episode. Right. So, um, and that's pretty interesting that he at yeah. least acknowledged, yeah. got to wait till the end. So even when I encourage Christians and church people to watch shows that are currently on the air, there's a little bit of trepidation because I don't know necessarily where it's going to end up and what it's going to say as the whole. But I think we have to start looking at episodic storytelling, narrative storytelling as going somewhere, as point to point to point, and sometimes long and drawn out journeys. And you know what? Christians are not real comfortable with long and drawn out journeys. And if you need any proof of that, people of faith, God's people, look at the 40 years that the Israelites grumbled in the desert trying to figure out where they were going. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in fact, I think you can look at the Old Testament and New Testament as a good example of uh, how television actually works. Um, because um, the Old Testament is a very narrative, episodic, storytelling point that goes from point to point and person to person and character to character until it gets to the end, but then it's still saying there is more to come. Mm -hmm. It actually, to me, is still, if all, if your theology is based only on the Old Testament, I think you're still in the middle of a very long-running mm -hmm. series that may or may, you know, I think you know it's going to turn out well, but um, you're waiting for the arrival of that, of that promised one. Christians who believe that promised one has already come and will come again, you can look at it as this, um, you know, culmination of this series that began. This is what, again, this is the conversations that I want to be happening more in churches. If you look at the journey, the journey that is the, uh, the, the, the Christian life, the journey that is the life of a believer, I've heard it said that you can look at uh, the story of Israel in the Old Testament as our own stories, that that's all of us rebelling from God and then returning to God and forgetting about God and coming back to God and journeying with God and rejecting God and being angry at God and wrestling with God. Well, that's a great television series right there <laughs> that I just described that maybe I'll try to get on the air sometime. Um, and then, and then um, you can look at the New Testament as kind of going out in all sorts of different directions. What are the words that we've used before? Uh, from Jerusalem to Judea? Or to, no, the to, centrifugal and... Oh, centripetal versus centrifugal. Yeah, so and I don't understand spinning, it. Well, it's just, uh, you know, <laughs> centripetal force is stuff that spins outward and centrifugal is stuff that spins... Uh, no, reverse that. Centrifugal is outward, one is inward. But There was an article in Time magazine about The Simpsons when The Simpsons um, ended, started airing on FXX and um, pointing out that most shows kind of progress linearly and new information is revealed and that's how you learn about the characters. The Simpsons world, Springfield, uh, uh, um, expands as a spiral exponentially out from the core and, you know, things, it's not that things are changing, it's just that you learn more, mm -hmm. you're learning more as it goes outward. And I thought that was an interesting comparison to the Old Testament versus the New Testament. The Old Testament is kind of a revelation in order. Things are happening kind of point by point and growing as they do. The New Testament is more so, you know, after Jesus's life is more so now we're going to expand on these truths and reveal more about them, which is, I think, what television does better than any yeah. other art form is expand well, even out. Ex to expand on <laughs> that. Um, I mean, the New Testament itself doesn't end completed. Right. It ends with, and I will come back, yeah. you know, um, yeah. and uh, and now go and make a decision. I mean, there's still much to be done, and, yeah. and it's not completed. It's it's uh, what you would call in theology an, a, 
a uh, realized eschatology versus um, a I'm trying to, the term is escaping me, but um, essentially it's already but not yet. Well, and and Carter's the theologian and I'm the writer. So if you look at the Bible in the three act structure that most movies are, uh, the beginning, middle, and then and then essentially conclusion. Uh, the first three chapters of Genesis are the first act of the Bible. The rest of the Bible is the second act, and then the book of Revelation is the third act. So you look at, you know, the setup, and then the actual story part, and then the actual victory, which doesn't come to the third act in most movies. Well, that's the book of Revelation, right, as we know what victory is coming. Well, and that's one of, I think, the challenges is, is this notion of, and, and again, the theological uh, way around it is this idea of the inaugurated kingdom. So hmm. Jesus brought the kingdom and consummated the kingdom and brought it to its full uh, culmination in his acts, in his death, in his resurrection, but not yet. Yeah. Um, and that's all the tension both in the New Testament and then now in the, in the present day is that we realize and recognize that God's work is final and done, and yet there's still um, work to be done. But we're not really comfortable with that. The way that we talk about um, our own stories is far more closed and contained um, because we have some distance from it, because, you know, we kind of close off the Old Testament from the, you know, there's a number of things that we do. Um, we also tend to, and this has been interesting, we've talked about before, um, we tend to tell the whole story in the whole telling of it, even though Revelation is sort of um, a here's what happens when God renews the heavens and the earth and comes back down. It's still in images and pictures that are different. It's it's a, a to be determined kind of thing. Um, but since we have that, we are telling when we think about King David and what he did, <laughs> uh, Saul before him, any of the kings of Israel. I mean, any of the good kings, bad kings, any of the folks in the New Testament. We are want to sort of tell the entire Christian story every time we tell it. Mm -hmm. We're not very comfortable in. Uh, telling parts of that story mm -hmm. and letting them kind of sit with you. Um, this is the the sort of classic Easter thing that mm. um, a lot of churches uh, aren't very comfortable on the uh, the Good Friday service yeah. to really let it end on death, and yeah. that you've got to deal with that because we want to get to Easter so quickly. Um, and that really is, I think, a benefit of learning the language of television um, that it pushes us to say, no, there's some value and really wrestling for a week on on the cliffhanger, on where it left you. You know, Catholics understand this better than Protestants because Catholics in uh, have the Stations of the Cross in their churches, mm -hmm. and they're actually the art on the wall of the Stations of the Cross. I think there are 13 of them. Um, but it's all the realization that inevitably each section of those things are leading to the next. So you don't have to tell the entire story. You can tell Jesus stumbling, falling, knowing that that's part of God's truth as well without necessarily mm -hmm. going to the resurrection. I know we're talking mostly about television, but Martin Scorsese, who is Catholic, has been told about his films. I think he, he, a bishop or a priest said to him, there's just too much Good Friday in your movies and not <laughs> enough Easter Sunday, yeah. which is a fair observation about the theology of Martin Scorsese. I will argue that too many evangelical writers and filmmakers want put too much Easter in their films and not enough Good Friday. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that television allows us to kind of tell all of Holy Week, you know, mm -hmm. if we want to in our stories, mm -hmm. even though sometimes you don't get to Easter Sunday till the very last yeah. episode, you know, mm -hmm. the way something like um, uh, uh, True Detective does, mm -hmm. the way Lost sort of does, mm -hmm. um, well, not sort of, essentially does yeah, yeah. in that final episode. In its own Easter sort of way. Right. <laughs> which Easter again, Island, Easter which again yeah. doesn't mean that you can put up with 
you know, 200 episodes of Drek just because in the yeah. last moment somebody comes to Jesus or somebody changes their ways. But I think that, um, you know, the first years of my life without Jesus were uh, would have made good television, but I'm not <laughs> sure people would have watched. But, um, you know, and then life well, really even, started. Even now, uh, as a follower of Jesus, you you don't do it perfectly. Right. And that makes good television, too, right. if you're honest about it. Right. If, if it's purely a sort of a triumphalistic, you know, we we have won and it's over and now I'm good. Well, that doesn't reflect reality either, that um, most of our biblical, other than Jesus, every biblical character is deeply flawed. Imagine a TV show about David and what would be going on in those first few seasons of his lives and of his life and even later in his life. Yeah. And, you know, would the Christian audience stick with it, knowing that he was heading toward more complete redemption and more depth as we watch him sin and stumble along. Imagine a, a, a TV series about the life of Saul before he became Paul and the evil that he actually performed, but, you know, leading to the man that he became and that God used after what happened to him on the road to Damascus. Yeah, and even then, he still has a thorn in his flesh. Right. Even yeah. then, he's still, you know, he's yeah. still deeply human. And I, I think that's, for me, um, the interesting thing about uh, television and why it, connects with you differently. I mean, you know, uh, film, it's it's a, a a couple hours where you get a whole story um, and can often be powerful. Uh, for me, the the resonance or the, the way that TV characters often not only just reflect my own sort of journey, but then also um, because they're embedded within my journey along the way, I think it speaks to it a little differently, which um, I think is interesting. We've, we've, uh, sometimes hit on, and that is the change in this sort of binge viewing um, is has good and bad. Um, that that if you mm -hmm. binge watch, uh, you know, ten or twelve episodes of a season, um, you're obviously quite consumed with it with those episodes, um, with those characters as they develop. Um, but the the detraction or the the downside of that is that. Um, Whereas before you would watch it each week, you would spend an entire week looking forward to it or, or kind of mulling over that last episode or thinking about it. And so it stays with you for, you know, four or five months as opposed to, you know, <laughs> depending who you are, 48 hours. Well, and interestingly, too, I think that you would uh, you would be forced with the moral choices that the characters made for a week before mm -hmm. you found out the results of them, which is much like our own lives. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're binge watching, it's like somebody you know, an episode ends with somebody making a really horrible decision, but then by the next week, they've gotten out of the situation yeah. or they've learned from it. And, you know, by the next week, I mean five minutes later when you're watching the show, whereas, and some, you know, you get into series television that ran for nine months and then took four months hiatus in the summer. And it's like, how are they going to get it out of that scape that they're, scrape that they're in? Or what are they, you know, they just murdered somebody and what are the kind of moral choices are they going to live with three months from now? So in one sense... Binge watching kind of kind of gets in the way of what the language of television used to be, where it's really not episodic. It's now instant, yeah. instant gratification, instant understanding, um, which actually could affect empathy for these characters or not, because the danger they got in the moral choices they got in ah, next week, yeah. it's next minute. Click well, here. there's a and not that we are anti binge watching. I've binge watched a handful of things myself, but. Uh, you know, when it comes to the church, and we're going to kind of wrap our last episode uh, here in a minute um, with uh, the reflection on how this affects the church, but it's kind of like we sometimes, we we ask people to binge the Bible every week mm -hmm. um, instead of 
often letting it sit in those uncomfortable spaces um, because that's where then when you interact uh, with your own dilemmas in life and journey, you're, the empathy comes from saying, oh, I know what it's like to be in that you know, circumstance or scenario. Um, whereas when you binge it, it's done, it's complete, you set it aside and then you go about your life. Um, so it's an interesting picture to think about how we're telling our own episodic stories. Um, since I get the last word always, uh, that, uh-huh. that might be the last word for now. Um, we will uh, wrap here and uh, see you uh, for our, well, we won't see you. We will recognize that you're hearing us on our final uh, episode of our Theology and TV Conversation. You have been listening to a production of Fuller Studio. Fuller Studio provides articles, podcasts, videos, and other resources for a deeply formed spiritual life. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit us at fuller.edu studio.